So, we probably just need to take a minute and refocus. So, I'll start by praying for us. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for those who are probably still en route. We pray for us, for them, and for all of us to have open hearts and ears and minds to hear from you tonight. We bring everything we've come with and we just deposit it at your feet. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher, our guide, that you would open our eyes to see all the wonderful things in your law and that our hearts would be ready and hungry and fertile soil for you to deposit your truths in and they would go deep and remain and we are just excited to see what you have to teach us today i ask you to use my mouth to guide my mind to guard me from saying anything that's not from you and i pray that your words would be a blessing to all of us here tonight and that you would be glorified thank you so much for being a good good father we pray in jesus name amen all right so I want to start with a quick review. I don't think we have anybody who's here for the first time as I'm looking around. But still, just to kind of remember our sort of outline, even though I didn't give you a for real outline, because if you remember the video, John kind of goes in a circular form as he talks about subjects, moves on, comes back, goes around and around. But kind of a broad outline that we got from the video is a introduction, which was the focus of the first night. The introduction, does anybody remember what the main point was in the introduction? What's that? That is the first point, but the introduction, I'm glad you're ahead of it. The introduction was that he's proclaiming who Jesus is, that he saw, not just he, but the apostles saw, heard, touched. He's a real person. And why is he proclaiming it? So that we have, so that anybody can have fellowship with us, with them, come into that fellowship with the Father and the Son. And since John is going to talk, and we've already started to see how he talks so much about very specific actions, obeying, loving, doing. We didn't want this to become a list of rules or a checklist of what we have to do to make sure that we're in good standing with God. So the most important thing to remember was very first was fellowship. Very first was the foundation is we know God, our relationship with him. And out of that comes what we do, not the opposite. We don't do, 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 so we can be God's children. We first come into fellowship. We are kept in that relationship. And out of that flows everything else. So that's why the introduction for me was so important. For all of us, it was so important. And then there were two main themes that both start with, this is the message. And this is what you guys were saying. God is light. And today we'll start with the second half, which is God is love. And he'll still talk about obeying and being 
walking in the light. And before this, he already brought up the topic of love. So it's not exclusively in two sections, but just kind of broad categories. And then there is a conclusion, which is a bit of a summary and an affirmation to know we are God's children again at the end. Okay, so that's the, the main outline. And today I wanted to take a few minutes. We have a little bit shorter of our notes, so I feel like we have time to look at some of the handouts I gave you on the first night. And if anybody's missing them, I'm sure that we have extras. Um, but there were four handouts altogether. One was this cosmic battle that has a line down the middle, two columns, good and evil. And I put it on the whiteboard, if you remember. We talked about that. And I'm going to write that back up there tonight, a little bit later. But the others were marks of a true disciple. Everybody knows what these are? It looks like yes. So the very first night, I asked you to put on here the first one. Does anybody remember that, or did they do it, or did you do it? Yay! I'm going to turn this on. I had it turned off because... because some yucky things scroll down. All right. So my, yay, this works. So look what I'm going to do. These handouts, ah, I'm on here. This is my page that I have started. Yours doesn't have to look exactly like mine because this is personal, but it just has to line up with the truth. So some of the things, the first one I wrote is what Nancy said. A a true disciple, first of all, has had a personal encounter with Jesus. Some other language that John uses in other parts of this letter calls it seeing him, knowing him, Believed and received him as Lord. We talked about that when we actually looked at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And that we have to believe and receive him. And that means we are born of him. And that's when we get to be called his children. Okay, if you guys remember that. So that's the first thing to become a disciple, to enter into that relationship. Then, if you want to even open your Bibles, if you're already there in 1 John... What I did was kind of just review, just started walking through. And I'm not going to read it all, but the, these are some of the p- things we came into. In, the, in chapter 1, it was about someone who has fellowship with God, lives in him, and walks in the light. So these are some of the points we started to see. And then when you get down to verse 9, that's where he says we confess our sins, right? Because remember he was saying even anybody who says we don't have sin or have not sinned, that's a lie. So it's someone who has met the Lord, continues to walk in fellowship, which he calls walking in the light, We acknowledge and confess sin rather than say we don't have any. We walk in obedience. And that is when we get up to chapter 2, verse 6. 
Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And the reason I wrote walks in obedience is because we're not going to live like Jesus did in doing all of his miracles and being a perfect son of God. But we, we can follow him in obedience. We looked at Hebrews and that he was obedient to the Father, right? Um, and then number six, this is when we moved on to the anointing. Because after that part about walking in the light, there's that section that's the beautiful section of he's writing to us because we know the Father Our sins have been forgiven. Remember all of those affirmations that he gave us? And then, um, not loving the world. I didn't put anything on here about that, but you could if that was something you wanted to put on there. He says, do not love the world. And remember, does that include people? No. No. When he's talking about the world, he's talking about the world system that is anti-Christ. The world system is set up against the way Christ taught us that his kingdom is set up. Okay, Um, and then we read about the people who left the church, and that's when he says, but you. So now we're going back to where he tells us what the disciple a disciple would look like. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know the truth. That's where I got that line on number six. And we had some tough things in this passage, didn't we? About following the Lord, walking in obedience, and a person who truly knows the Lord, it says they cannot go on sinning. And we talked about the difference, even from the first night, we talked about the difference between sin as, you know, something that we fall into and then we realize we messed up and we confess it and we get back on track. And the difference between that and a pattern of choosing to continue in sin. I know this is wrong, but I'm choosing to continue to walk in this. And that's what he says, a true disciple, someone who's been born of God, says they cannot go on sinning or continue in sin. Do you remember why? Because God's seed remains in them. And if that is what is in us, we won't have the desire. We still will mess up. Well, I shouldn't say we won't have the desire. We still have desires that tempt us. But we will have a competing desire that says, I want to obey the Lord, not I want to do something different. Yes, do you have something to say? Yes. <laughs> uh, just like my heart is fluttering because I love this. Um, in First Peter yes. uh, 1.23, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And yes. go back into the Psalms, he says, I will hide your word in my heart that I yes. will sin against. Yes, that is the seed. And you make me think of Jeremiah where he says, the word will not just be written somewhere else, it will be written on their hearts. And Jesus also said that it's the seed that is sown in the hearts of men. Yes. So this is the seed that lives in us, that produces 
the good fruit. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Yes. Yes. But a true believer cannot go on sinning without remorse. Okay. And that's one of the big differences too. People people that don't know the Lord can sin and sin and sin and never don't feel bad about it. Anything about it, never have any guilt for it. And when we sin, we it should wreck us. Yes. When we have come to knowledge that that sin is sin. That's why we can't point at somebody else and say, this what you're doing is sin. If they haven't been convicted by it yet, they haven't learned that yet, they're not responsible for it. But God will tell them and show them what it is. And as soon as they realize their eyes are opened, they realize it's wrong. That's when the Holy Spirit starts teaching. I remember Pastor Carol telling a story of somebody who had just come to the Lord and he was smoking. And people in the church kept coming to him and telling him, this guy is doing this, and he shouldn't be. I mean, obviously smoking is probably not the best example because it's not in the Bible, but it's something we know is not good for you. And Pastor Carroll said, give him a chance for the Holy Spirit to tell him before we go get up. You know, he's, he's, he's learning. He's in process. And we're all in process. And we've talked many times through previous studies, as we get closer to the light... God reveals more things that we didn't realize were sin before, especially things that aren't obvious on the outside for people to teach us about, but inward thoughts that maybe you didn't realize before. So, yes, as the Holy Spirit reveals to you this is sin, then you feel bad. Then you, um, the Holy Spirit always wants, and this is later today in, in today's notes, so I didn't want to get into it, but he always wants to bring you, back to restoration and fellowship because once you're conscious of sin and if if you haven't been willing to restore that that gets in the way of your fellowship with God right and his job is never to make you feel bad his job is to bring you back to that fellowship he always wants to restore and so that's the difference between when you just uh, feel bad and we're going to talk about what the difference is between a guilty conscience later. Yes. Uh, thank you. Come back. All right. I might have to redo this input. Come back, please. Yay. Okay. All right. So that is this page. And then we'll move on. Do you, have you started filling in the this is how page yet? The first one I found was this is how we know we have come to know him. which is chapter 2, verse 3. We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The next one I came across was, this is how we know that it is the last hour. Chapter 2, 
verse 18. How do we know what's the last hour? Because many antichrists have come. And we looked at how Jesus said that in the end, many false prophets, false messiahs, he calls them, would come. And do you remember that John is the only one who uses the word antichrist in the New Testament or in the Bible? And he only uses it in his letters. It's not in the gospel and it's not in Revelation. Number three was we know who the children of God are and who the devil are. Ooh, that was a tough one. And this is how you know. How do you know? The one who does what is right? Or the one who does not love their brother and sister? Let me find the verse for you on that one. I should put it on my page. That would be a good idea. Three. That was the very last verse that we finished on last week. Thank you. 310. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right does sorry, does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And that was a perfect transition to today's where we start on the section on love. But we got one more page to look at. Remember, mine is not the only right one. You can add more things. You can say it in different words. Your version might say it a little differently. Then we had a page about summary statements, and these are a few that were helpful to me. The first one is from the introduction. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And that kind of summarized why he's doing this. Then the very beginning of chapter 2, after he's talked about if you walk in the light, if you uh, are confessing your sin, if you're doing these different things, and then he sums it up by saying, Beloved, don't sin. Some versions, dear children, but I like the beloved. But if you do, and this is why to me it was a summary of both sides. I'm not saying just do whatever you want. I'm saying don't sin. But I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect either. So if you do, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, meaning he is the high priest, and he is also the sacrifice itself, which is beautiful. The third one was this old new command we talked about a lot. Remember, I'm not giving you a new command. This is an old command. But then he says, but this is a new command. Did anybody have trouble with that the first few times you read it? It's like, Lord, which one is it? What's he talking about? This old slash new command is the one Jesus gave that we love one another. Why do they call it old and then new? Because for these people, it's old. This was the very first thing they learned 60 or so years ago. But it was new when Jesus said it. He said, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Okay, number four. 
He says over and over, remain in this original gospel message. A lot of times he uses the wording, what you have heard from the beginning. And that's what I was always asking about. What do you mean the beginning? The beginning, the beginning? Like when, when God made the world and when it says in the beginning was the word? Well, God knew that from the beginning. But when they're talking about, when John is talking about what these disciples have heard from the beginning... He's talking about the original gospel message when the church is born. And he says, you have the truth. You don't need a new message. He said, you don't need anyone to teach you. We mentioned this last week. But of course, we're all here because we still want to learn. We still want to be taught. What he means is, you don't need a new gospel, a new teaching. Not some new enlightenment different from the Holy Spirit or different from the original message. We remain in the original gospel message where we have the truth and not something new. Because that was, remember the problem we talked about? People had left because they were saying they had some new enlightenment and they had some new ideas We're going to see today what one of them probably was because of what John hits on, specifically about Jesus not being flesh, which is why from the very beginning he said, we have seen him, heard him, touched him with our hands. Okay, the next one that I used as a summary was that we are God's children, and this is the very beginning of chapter 3 where he says, He's, he's all excited. We get to be called children of God. Sometimes we get used to that, hearing that, but it is a big deal. And that's why we went back and looked at John chapter 1, verse 12. And not every person is a child of God, although it's common in our culture, culture to say that we're all God's children. We're all God's creation. We're all created in his image and therefore have value. We are not all God's children unless you choose to believe him and receive him as Lord. So we are God's children, but something better is even coming. When we see Jesus as he is in his fullness, we become like him. And this is one of my favorite verses, so I'm not going to spend all day talking about it again because we talked about it last week. But for me, that was a big one. And then... The rest of that deals a lot with our fruit shows who we belong to. And this is tough. This is tough. But it's true. And that's how we finish with that last verse that was in our, this is how you know. And I'm just going to read it so we can go into verse 11. 310 says... This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Sound legalistic? Sounds black and white. Remember, we're going to see more today, but this is who you are in general. This is not living perfect all the time. This is when you make a mistake, you go back, you confess it, and you get back on track. And that shows who you are. 
as God's child, as you live. Okay. So, we're ready for today. Verse 11. This is the message you heard from when? From the beginning. We should love one another. And immediately we have an example that we've heard of before. Let me see if I missed anything in your notes. The four connects to the previous verse, which is what I just read. The beginning is what we already talked about, the original message. And this new command, I just gave you two verses where you can see that this is what Jesus had said. A new command I give you in John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And also in John 15, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. I'm going to turn that off so it doesn't give you any unwanted commercials. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is the example from Genesis 4. If you're not familiar, you can go back and read 1 through 16. You may remember we were warned not to follow the way of Cain in the study of Jude. And I want you to notice here what it says in 1 John, who Cain belonged to. He was the first son of Adam and Eve, and yet he didn't belong to God, but to the evil one. He didn't get very far down the line, right? And already he didn't belong to to God, but to the evil one. And then it tells us the fruit. It said Cain did what was evil and Abel what was righteous. And notice the actions of Cain were called evil before he murdered his brother. Murdering wasn't what made him evil originally. He did something else before. After he did something wrong that had to do with presenting his offering to the Lord, we can imagine, but we don't know exactly, he still had the chance to repent and do what was right. However, he chose, and here's the word, to continue in his sin. Tradition identifies Cain's sin as an attitude that defies God pursues selfish interests, and is devoid of faith and love. And Karen Jobes, who I've quote, I'm going to quote a couple of times tonight, calls him the personification of anomia. Do you remember this word from last week? If not, you can look back. We defined it, and it was in chapter 3, verse 4, the Greek word that's translated as lawlessness. In fact... Flip back if you have all your notes right there. And it is on page 25. So it's only a couple pages back. I'm going to reread this paragraph because I think it's important for you to remember. If you're on page 25, just come down from where it defines anomia and then the paragraph after says lawlessness refers not just to individual acts of sin, but to the true nature of sin, which originates from an attitude 
that resents God's moral demands. To be lawless does not simply mean to break the law. It means to disdain the very idea of a law to which one must submit. In summary, it is the rejection of God's authority and the exaltation of the autonomy of self. So this is what we are looking at in Cain, this idea of lawlessness. Like, I don't want to submit to you. I don't want to have anybody above me. I want to do what I want to do. And then immediately, John says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Did, you, did anybody think at the beginning, how did this connect to Cain? Think about how it ties to the verse before. Cain hated Abel because Abel was righteous and he was not. Remember when we read that those in darkness hate the light? And why did it say? For fear that their deeds will be exposed. Because just like Cain, their own actions are evil and they don't like when someone else is righteous. And I think that points back to our discussion on the pride of life, which was one of those things in the world that um, we're very tempted by. So if your actions are righteous, which is what we're trying to do, right? And someone else's is evil, he's saying, don't be surprised if they don't like you for it. And Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. But then he moves on, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And I put the the word meno there because sometimes it's translated abides, lives, remains, continues. And I want you to get used to seeing that word because it it can be translated different ways. But it's the same one about that seed that is abiding, living, remaining in us when you see that meno. And he brings this back to death and life. So I wanted to remind us of our columns and I'm not going to take the time to put all of it up here I'm going to put good on this side and evil on this side and that pen and remember how that looked God and devil we had light and darkness And what else? Truth and lies. Yep. Truth and lies. And what else? Life and death. And there's more, but... Yep, that's what we came to. Now, this one is tricky because we realized not all love is God's love. And not all hate is outside of God, because God does hate some things. So these, are, these we have to make sure we look at the object of the love and hate, okay? not just in and of themselves. But the reason I wanted to bring this back up here again was because we talked about, remember we made our circles? I don't know if everybody was here that night, but we made our circles because in the first chapter especially, 
And then into the second, every time I was reading it, I was like, it's, you know, God is light and there's no darkness at all. So this place in the middle, there was no crossover. There was, you can't have a little bit of truth and a little bit of lies. You can't have a little bit of light and a little bit of darkness. He says, you are here or you are here. And if you are here, there was no way to get here on our own. And I kept saying there was, there's just no crossover. It's just a huge chasm in the middle. And then we said, there's no crossover until you put the cross over. And Jesus was the only one who was sinless, but it says he became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So he brought us, and the verse that I put on there, John 5.24, it even uses the word crossed over. It says you, you have crossed over from death to life because of him. And I, I know you know that. That's the original gospel message. But just to remember again how when he says these words, let me read that verse. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. So all these things are going to be consistent with what a believer should look like. And all these things are be consistent with things that we should not be looking like. But thankfully, we're not stuck over here because we have the path to cross over. But still, the consistency is what John is going to talk about over and over again. How can you say that you have fellowship with God, but you walk in darkness? How can you say that you know God, but you hate your brother and sister? So this, which a lot of commentators call a duality, you know, there's, this, there's these two sections, and they, they don't mix. You can't say you're this and this. I hope that makes sense on audio when I'm pointing to things and it says this and this. Okay. So loving each other, he says, is one of the signs that we have passed from death to life. What was one of the main signs he talked about before now? You know that you're in him if you walk in the light, obey his commands. Those are all synonyms of the same thing and now he's saying we know that if we're loving each other we have crossed over from death to life and conversely not loving shows that we're still on the side of death it doesn't mean that we may not have crossed over the the seed of god can be planted in you and you can be born again but it's fruit is working its way out. And so that fruit should begin to show, I'm sorry, that seed should begin to show fruit. It doesn't mean that the first day after you become a child of God, you have all the fruit. But if you have been walking with the Lord and there is no change, you need to re-examine and say, What's, what's going on? If God's seed in me, th- is in me, these are the things that should be produced in my life. And that is what John is saying. Look at the fruit to know what seed is in the person. And he's really not trying to convict all these believers of 
small errors in their life. He's trying to help them recognize when people are telling them false doctrine and they see fruit in their life, they can recognize, wait a minute, this is not right. If people are living in a way that's completely against God's commands and then telling me they have the enlightened truth, mm, something's not right here. That's what he's trying to help us learn. We're going to see that a little bit more as we move on. Verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing. This is still meno, abiding, living, remaining in him. So Jesus, first of all, has raised the bar from actions to inner thoughts. And he, he did this when he was walking on earth. I wrote down Matthew 5, 21 and 22 is a good example. That's when he says, not just murder, but even being angry at a brother makes you subject to judgment. And then he takes that same idea and applies it to looking lustfully, he calls adultery. So what he's doing is raising the bar, which we've, we've talked before about. And he didn't bring the standard down. He raised us up with Christ, remember? And here he's raising that bar. It's not just what you do on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside. So even if you're not murdering physically, but you're hating a brother and sister, he's like, that's like being a murderer. And so this is what John says. He's equating hating with murder, and that's a strong statement. But again, this isn't a fleeting, angry thought. It is a pattern of choosing to reject God's command to love one another. See the difference? I don't want you guys to go home and if you be like, I'm mad at that person. <gasps> I don't have God's seed in me. Yes, you do. You just felt bad about it. So you definitely have God's seed in you. And you know how to fix it. But if we continue to choose, I'm going to choose to hate. That's saying, I don't want to be under God's law. I don't want to submit to him. And I want to be careful because sometimes we don't want to, but we choose to anyway. Sometimes I don't want to do what I know is right because I still have a battle of a fleshly nature inside of me. But the spiritual seed that is in me wants to do what's right. And that's where we choose. Lord, I choose to submit to you. And sometimes I have to ask him, Please give me even the want to do what's right. But that choice to say, I want to want to do what's right, is the seed of God in you pushing you to do the right thing. Okay. So, eternal life is residing in us. I want to point out that this verse is showing when it says eternal life residing, well, here it says no murderer has eternal life residing in him. But again, this is the idea that eternal life is that fellowship, that relationship that we have with God. 
living in us and us in him. I want us to start thinking that way and realize when we read it in scripture that this is the way the scripture points it out to us. Eternal life is not something we get someday when we die. It is already residing in us because we are in that relationship that doesn't end. And yes, it points back to the verse we read last week in chapter 3, verse 9, about the seed that resides in us. Hating a fellow believer is inconsistent with God's character, which is being formed in us, which is residing in us. And that is different from hating sin. If you notice, every time he talks about hate in this letter, it says, hating a brother or sister. If it's a newer version, it'll say brother and sister. If it's an older version, it might just say brother. But we know that they would use the masculine to, to, to include both. And so um, hating sin is not inconsistent with God's character. God hates sin. I hate sin. It does terrible things to us. But we don't hate people whether they're our brothers and sisters or whether they are unbelievers who just haven't found the truth. Remember, our battle is never against flesh and blood. They're not the true enemy. Okay. Verse 16. We have another, this is how we know. If you want to make a mark to add it to your list later. This is how we know what love is. Now that we've been talking about loving someone, John says, what does love look like anyway? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow. Does that mean I actually have to be that heroic person that sacrifices my life? Physically, maybe. But how do we apply that to our daily life? Because probably every day we're not in a situation to throw ourselves in front of a bus or whatever. And this is what I learned that I thought was a great application. First, look at John fifteen thirteen. It's in your notes. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And we know that Love is defined as unselfish surrender in several places. I put two. Galatians 2.20 is the verse about I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Does anybody know the rest of it? Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's unselfish surrender. And Colossians 3.3 is... One of my favorites, too, he says, says, you died. Like, why are you complaining about me, 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 me? No, you you died. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't live anymore. He says, the life you live now is, go ahead, Vanessa. I don't know, um, paraphrase. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, yes. So the same kind of idea, unselfish surrender. Here's the one that I think is going to help us. John 10, 
Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Though he literally did die for us, in general, the teaching about being a good shepherd is laying down their lives in the form of spending his life caring for the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. He gives his life every day caring for the sheep. Interestingly, this is also what Jesus told Peter to do when he reinstated him in John 21. Yes, he knew he was going to be a leader in the church. And what did he tell him to do? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. This is what I believe we are to model in caring for our brothers and sisters. Laying down our lives for them is like Jesus' model of being a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, and that is taking care of the sheep as he asked us to do, as he told Peter to do. And now he's going to specifically give us some examples of how we do that. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity, very literally it says shuts up their heart or some, some versions bowels on them, how can the love of God be again, that's abide, in, remain, reside in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions. And in truth, do you see where he said it's not consistent for you to say you have God's seed in you that loves people. And then when you see somebody in need, doesn't bother you a bit. You don't care. Sometimes I have been like that. And I need the Holy Spirit to push me and say, hey, where's your compassion? I feel sorry for this person. And then he gives me his compassion. But that's what he's saying. It's inconsistent for a person who does have God's love residing in them to see somebody in need and not take pity and share. Now, we can't fix every problem and feed every hungry person in the whole world. So how do we find the balance of when it's us? We've talked about this before. You are watching and If you have the means and God gives you that, then you act. This is the other side of Jesus raising the bar from outward actions to inner thoughts. So he was saying, it's not just what you do, it's about what you think on the inside. And now he's saying, it's not just good intentions, follow through to actions. So this is the other side. Both of them are true. Both of them is what he's asking from us. What's going on on the inside and also what's going on on the outside. John's telling us here to go beyond good intentions and do something. Because what's inside is what comes out. That's what fruit means. And I I put this verse in here. God, not verse, but quote from Karen Jobes again, God is the ultimate source of all provision, but most often he distributes it through people helping people. Everything we have is by the grace of God, and to withhold life resources from those in need blocks his channel of provision for them. 
Now, I tried not to say too much about how we decide when we just feel guilty and we have to help every single person because this next verse, I think, is very helpful. Another, this is how we know. This is how we know we belong to the truth. We're residing on the side of truth, light, love, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. It can also mean to assure our hearts, especially in light of the demands we just heard about acting in truth and love. So, I spent a long time trying to figure out what these verses meant. (laughs) Praying and reading and asking. And this is what I have landed on that I think is trying to tell us. First of all, we need this. We need to know we belong to the truth, right? This is how we know we belong to the truth. And do we need to have our hearts set at rest in his presence? Yes, please. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. This is the one that I was struggling with for a long time. This one and the next one together. If our heart condemns us, if our heart doesn't condemn us. First of all, I want you to notice that it says, if our hearts condemn us. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and bringing conviction. This is our heart. Cardia in Greek, which more often actually refers to the mind. It refers to our thoughts when, when it says heart. So this is when your mind, your thoughts, tells you, you're not good enough, you didn't do enough, you haven't helped enough people, did you see that needy person on the corner and you did nothing, and your heart condemns you. Condemn means to discern against, to incriminate, to blame. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. Remember there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but he will convict. And what's the difference? What I started to talk about earlier, his purpose is always to bring repentance and restoration. What John is, I believe, referring to here when our hearts condemn us are those nagging, guilty thoughts or conscience that so often tells us we haven't done enough, we aren't good enough, there's, there's people that still need and you didn't feel their need. Well, we just can't. You know, we used to live in a world where everybody knew the people in their community and they probably could help the people they were in contact with. But now that we know what's going on around the whole world, there's no way we can meet all the needs that we know about. So that way we go back to the question of how we know. And I'm not going to really talk about how you know because that's not the point of tonight. But the Holy Spirit tells us. And if we have the ability and the resources, that's when we can do something. But oftentimes, especially people that are trying to follow the Lord, like the ones who are here tonight, the ones who are listening, the ones who want to learn, the ones who want to walk in the light, probably aren't on the side of, I don't want to help. I don't want to do anything. Maybe. Sometimes we do need to be pushed. And we need to remember, hey, 
if there's no pity, if you have the opportunity and you're not trying to help, remember, that's not the way God operates. But oftentimes, he's saying, if our hearts condemn us, remember, God is greater than our hearts. What does that mean? John reminds us that God is greater than our hearts, meaning he is greater than those accusing, guilt-ridden thoughts or minds that we have. He knows everything. He knows how bad we really are. He also knows the sincerely good parts of us. And he loves us with all of it. I kind of skipped over these verses, and I don't want to forget to mention to you um, 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 5. Those verses are about not judging with eyes of the flesh to other people, but not even ourselves is what it says. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I leave that up to God to tell me when I need conviction because sometimes we're too hard on ourselves and sometimes we're too easy on ourselves. So if you want to look at those verses... But remember, the one who knows me best is the one who loves me the most. He knows how bad you really are, that maybe nobody else knows how bad you really are, and he knows how good you are too. And then I'm going to read this whole paragraph that I took from Karen again because I just thought this was a good uh, summary. The apostle knows that his readers, and I would say us in today's world here tonight, need to quiet their hearts in order to continue in their faith in Christ and in their love for others. For a heart that constantly accuses us of disappointing God will erode our resolve to love. It will keep us from enjoying our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Feelings of inadequacy or failure will impede your prayer life by making us shy away from God. John's remedy for quieting a restless heart is surprisingly simple to state, but possibly difficult to achieve. It's trust God. God who knows all things and who knows us better than we know ourselves. Trust his regenerative power working within. Trust his knowledge of how his spirit has transformed you and continues to do so throughout your life, even when your own spirit grows weak. Don't turn away from faith in Christ or from loving others. Remain in him. Yes. I may have mentioned this before, but um, it's so crucial. Feelings of inadequacy and failure keep us from God. Yes. And there's a, a book that I read, Gentle and Lowly, that I would highly recommend okay. to anyone to read that's struggling with this. I mean, we all need it. Because Jenny is recommending a book called Gentle and Lowly. Just want to make sure that made it on the okay. recording. And, um, sorry about that. That's okay. No, go ahead. But um, he stresses in there how much God's heart is towards us, especially in our sin. Mm-hmm. That's what he came for, Yeah, to rescue us from our sin. Mm-hmm. So when we do sin, his heart is reaching for us, not 
retreating. Yes. It's, it's just crucial. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And when I read this part, you know, John is talking so much about make sure you do what's right, keep his commands, walk in the light, love people. If you're not doing that, you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. And those things are so strong. I want to make sure we, we really latch on to the parts where he says, hey, if your heart's condemning you, remember, God is greater than your heart. He's not condemning you. That is our own silly, guilt-ridden conscience that wants to overdo it and be in place of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, please listen and please repent and obey. He wants to get you back on track. But those condemning voices are not something that he wants us to listen to because, as Jenny said, he's for us. He's always bringing us to him. And so I just wanted to make sure we remembered that, that we can quiet our heart by remembering that God is greater than our hearts. I love that verse. And then he's, he brings the flip side. Dear friends or beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, Yay! Then we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we do keep his commands and we do what pleases him. So if, if you're not in that place where you're feeling condemned, then my goodness, take that confidence to the throne of God and ask him is what he's saying if we're in communion with God and we're not aware of any conviction, amen, approach the throne of grace with confidence. And he says we can ask and receive anything. But he does qualify that with because we are in that place where we're walking with him, we're keeping his commands, we're doing what pleases him. And I wrote out for you several verses on asking and receiving. Matthew and Mark um, are from Jesus. Ask and you will see, re receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Those kinds of verses. Um, John has some more specifically that talk about asking in his name. And just as a quick reminder, his name is his character is his nature, is who he is. It's not just tacking Jesus onto the end of a petition. Okay? So it's, it's when it's in his will. This is part of who he is and what he wants. If you're asking according to that, he says, you're going to get what you're asking for because that's what I want too. And that's wonderful. So basically, I, kinda, I want you to look those verses up, but I summed up, they're reminding you to ask in his name, in his will, by the Holy Spirit, the one in James is not with wrong motives. It says sometimes we ask with wrong motives, right? And asking with faith, believing that we will receive what we ask. Okay. The end of it said, if we're keeping his commands, right? We receive anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And then he clarifies, and this is his command, in case you weren't sure what it was. 
to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a concise summary statement to me right there. What, how do you sum up keeping his commands? Believe in who he is and love one another. For me, it sounds a lot like how Jesus summed up everything in the law and the prophets. When somebody asked him, what did he say? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. To me, it sounds very similar. Believe who Jesus is and love as he commanded us to love one another. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives. This time I put it in English, abides, but that's that meno word in him and he in them. See how it's all about the fellowship of living, abiding together? And this is how we know. This one, we're just full of this is how we knows tonight. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the first mention of the spirit, but we're about to have several more. John 16, 13. Jesus speaking. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. This is how we know he lives in us. The spirit who always tells the truth, who guides us into all truth, will tell us. And Romans 8.16 very specifically says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But we always have trouble deciding, did the Spirit really tell me? What about, what about the Spirit that told them this that sounds different than what I thought? So verse, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yes, we have to be careful. The Spirit testifies to our spirits. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. But we have to test the spirits because there are many spirits out there saying things that are not true. First thing I want to do is define spirit. Numa. P-N-E-U-M-A, and that can be spirit with a little s or spirit with a big s, which makes it even more difficult in Greek to know which one it is. But in our versions, usually you see a difference if the person who was writing it recognized that they're talking about the spirit of God, then they'll put the big s. But just so you know, that word spirit can be used to refer to physical wind, which is a symbol of the spirit, breath, when God breathed into us, the breath of life, that was spirit, 
It can mean angels, demons, which are good spirits or bad spirits, other non-corporeal beings, the incorporeal part of the human person, meaning our spirit, right, that lives in us. And it is also used when it's a capital S to refer to the spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when, when you see test the spirits, it's because there's all kinds it could be referring to out there, right? And we are not to believe every spirit, but to test them because many are not from God. The first and most important test, whether or not it is in line with the is whether or not it is in line with the whole counsel of Scripture. God will never contradict His word. So if something comes from a spirit, the first test is: Does whatever this spirit says? Does it line up with the word of God? Is that clear? And there's a lot of words of God. And so don't just look at one. Because sometimes it can sound like it until you take the counsel of the whole scripture and say, wait a minute. Let's look at what the word says overall in general. Does it line up? And we have the great advantage of having the Bible, the whole counsel of the word at our fingertips in print. But John's readers didn't have a collected New Testament yet. Yes, there were gospels floating around, there were letters floating around, and they may have had access to some of those, But to have it all collected and be able to say, okay, I'm going to match this up against the word of God, they weren't quite there yet. So John is saying, you've got to test these spirits to see if they agree with what. What did they have for it to agree with in their time if they didn't have it written like this as we do? They had a message from the beginning. Exactly, Vanessa. the, um, The message you heard from the beginning who Jesus is, he came, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, he died on the cross, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, what the, what the apostles um, proclaimed. And yes, they had the Old Testament also, which gave a lot of insight into who God is, what his character is. All right. I'm going to go on to verse 2 because he continues to explain. This is how you can recognize. So it doesn't say this is how you know, but this is also a this is how. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. In case you weren't here when we mentioned this is not just the Antichrist that we think of as the person who comes to power in the tribulation. Many Antichrists. This is any person 
any doctrine, anything that sets itself up against the true knowledge of who Christ is and what his kingdom is about is the spirit of the Antichrist. Because that spirit can, you, you know, go into all kinds of places and be, come out through all kinds of people. So one important test, this is not the only one, but John is specifically talking about an important test to discern if a spirit is from God is if they acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh. And he's probably emphasizing this point because those who had gone out, the ones who had recently left the church, claimed to be led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but they were teaching a false doctrine about Jesus, specifically in reference to his incarnation, specifically about him coming in the flesh, which is a central point to the gospel. So that's why John's saying, hey, here's a test. If they're saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that's not from God. If they're saying he did, that is from God. Now, I'm not saying that's the only test. You don't want to say, well, this person believes Jesus came in the flesh, so everything else that comes out of their mouth has got to be from God too. Thankfully, we have this whole council of scripture to compare it to. And you have the Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit. Any questions? Okay. Verse 4. You, dear children, are from God. Don't you love that he continues to reassure us? I need that (laughs) because I have that condemning voice in me that says, "Mm." thankfully I've gotten to the point where I know I'm from God. I I know that I don't always do everything right, but I know I'm from God. And have overcome them. Who's them? Yes, spirits that are are not the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's talked about them as those people who are spreading that untrue doctrine, false doctrine as well. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Oh, you've heard that verse before. Now you know where it comes from. (laughs) Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. By the way, this is a great verse to memorize in case you're looking for one. John affirms us again that we are from God, and I wanted to point out to you this word, overcome. Nikeo, nikao, depending on how you pronounce it. If you have served at our children's camp, we go to Camp Nikeo, and everybody's like, what kind of weird name is that? Well, there you go. It's the Greek word for overcome or conquer, prevail, to get the victory. So that's a great word to have at camp. And yes, we have the victory over lying spirits. There are a lot of lying spirits. Things that you hear in your own mind, things that have been recorded in your memory, things that you hear from TV and news and whatever sources around the, the world, 
And we have to recognize when it is a lying spirit and that we have the victory over lying spirits because the greater one lives in us. Who's the greater one who lives in you? The holy pneuma spirit. Verse 5, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize, again, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. How do we recognize? There was some criticism from some people about this verse because it sounds like John's just saying, well, I'm always right. If, if, if they listen to me, then they're from God. If they don't listen to me, they're not from God. But he's not just saying he as a person. He's saying those who adhere to the teaching of the original apostles the message that was given to us from the beginning. This is what they're talking about listening to. He's not talking about just himself. Go ahead. Going back to 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. That's the message he's giving them. Exactly. The message of the word of life. This is what he's talking about when he says whoever listens to us. He's talking about the original teaching that we have. We're not going to change that. And Remember when we said, um, Paul said, um, while you're listening to some new gospel, which is not even a gospel at all, or if anybody comes to you to preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, don't listen to it. We're not changing things. There can be new learning, but it's always going to be the same original message. Mm -hmm. But people who are from the world and speak from the viewpoint of the world are going to be the ones that the world listens to. I think I put on here, yes, the, the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about the people who don't have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one who guides us into all truth, cannot understand the things of God because they are discerned spiritually. They're discerned by the Spirit. So a lot of times it just doesn't make sense to them until that seed is born within them and the Holy Spirit opens their eyes, says the veil is removed, and they can see and understand the truth. But that's why he talks so often about don't be surprised if they don't listen, if they hate you, if they don't receive you. They hated me. They didn't receive me. But also I would just encourage you, don't give up because you keep planting those seeds 
And one of these days, maybe the person that you least expect to listen to you is going to realize this is the truth because you never know. God's working on people's hearts. Uh, Let me see if I miss anything here. Yeah, I already mentioned the part about since we have the New Testament, we can compare what people say that they receive from the Spirit, supposedly, with the actual Word of God. We have a little bit extra time tonight. And, oh, I'm so sorry. I looked at the clock wrong. That's why I was taking time. Oh, I apologize. Okay, we don't have very much time for our small groups. I did that once before. I don't know why. Sometimes I think we go later than we do. Please take the next 10 minutes and enjoy your small groups and talk about whichever of those questions talks to you the most. Go ahead.